Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. Welcome back to the show. I'm excited and delighted to be joined today by Victor Antonio. Victor is an international speaker, a business consultant, and he has a BS in electrical engineering and an MBA. Um, Victor had a 20-year career as a top sales executive and was president of global sales and marketing for a $420 million company. He has shared the stage with top business speakers, including Ziegler, Damon John, Rudy Giuliani, I think I butchered that spelling, Paul Ottolini, um, CEO of Intel, and John May, CEO of FedEx Kinkos, plus he's the author of 13 books on sales and motivation. Victor, a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Awesome, dude. So there's plenty we'd love to cover with your good self today, Victor. We would love to learn your story. We'd love to learn some of your top business growth and sales tips. Um, along with some of the digital marketing channels and strategies that you've utilized across the years that have helped you to be the success that you are. But if we could start from the very top, please, Victor, if we could learn a bit more about yourself, anyone that doesn't know Victor Antonio, where you grew up um, and how you got into business ever since leaving school and some of the key moments in business that took you to where you are today and some of the lessons you've learned, if you could kindly share with us a bit more, sir. All right, I will, but I'll try to tighten it up a little bit. Uh, so okay. my family's originally from my family's from Puerto Rico, but I was born and raised in Chicago. They moved to Chicago in the late fifties, uh, so we were extremely, I'll just say, poor. And so my mother was always about get the education, get that job, get that job, get some, make some money, right? So that's why <laughs> I decided to become electrical engineering. Totally money motivated. Uh, got into engineering. Eventually got my MBA. But I discovered something right away, Sam. Once I was in engineering for about three years, I'm like, I don't like this. And I'm giving okay. you a short version here. And then eventually <laughs> I started kind of moving around and I, I finally found sales. And when I found sales, it's like I found my hyper pad. You know what I mean? It's like, that was me. And so I was Got very it. fortunate. I had a technical background. I was selling a, a lot of tech, you know, technology equipment, specifically telecommunications software. And okay. that's how I got into sales, man. And it just kept growing from there. Cool. So you're doing engineering. What was the first role that you got into in the sales side of things, Victor? And how did that come about? You know, it was almost like an in-between step. I was a application engineer for a wireless company. And so I was designing wireless systems and I would actually travel with salespeople because I would Ah. have a technical conversation. They would handle the sales conversation. And that's when really when I got to understand how it is to work with a salesperson and what their life was all about. We called them a four-legged calls. Uh, <laughs> and so I did a lot of four-legged calls and I really got to understand the sales side. And then fast forward, my, um, my wife, uh, we had our first child. And after a year, my wife's like, you know, I'd really like to stay home with our child. Uh, what do you think? I said, well, if I go into sales, because I've known these salespeople, I think I can make more money. And I said, but the downside is I'll be traveling a lot. And she was like, okay. Uh, she said that too quickly, Sam. You know what I mean? She was like, okay, go. Uh, and so that's More how money, I got traveling, yes. Got yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Go. <laughs> cool, man. All right. So that, that makes sense. So you, you were kind of in amongst um, sales reps whilst you were doing your more technical role. And you thought, hey, these guys are traveling. Really these guys helped. are making decent yeah. money. 
and uh, you, you saw it from the forefront and you wanted to get involved. Okay. So how old were you when you took that leap, Victor, when you got into sales and moved oh into that God. side so, of things? So, uh, my first job was as a software slash, uh, you know, technical engineer. So let me see. I'm, I'm doing numbers here in my head. I had to be <laughs> about maybe 30 okay. when I finally got into sales, like hardcore sales. And then I started traveling. Uh, my first region was Latin America. Obviously, I spoke Spanish. I speak Spanish. So, you know, that was the first place to start. And that's really where I cut my teeth in Latin America. And it was, it was quite eye-opening, Sam, because, you know, being U.S.-centric, being born in the U.S., you don't see much outside the U.S. The majority of people never traveled, especially at that time. And so it was, it was quite eye-opening to begin traveling the world a bit and seeing how everybody else lives and sells and does business. So it was very eye-opening. I bet that was an exciting time. I bet that was really, I bet oh you saw a lot of stuff you know, in it. It, was, it, it. it was a time when, you know, you didn't mind getting on an airline. You know what I mean? When you had enough room, you were excited about to go to the next place. Today, if you tell me, talk to me about travel, I'm like, do I have to get on that plane? <laughs> yeah, you've done it too much. <laughs> Is there any way to feed me over there? <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Okay, so you're with this company. So you went, you're with the same company that you were doing the tech side of things for on the sales side of things. How long did you stay there, Victor? And are there any lessons that you learned in terms of business that you could share with us that might be of value to our audience? Well, here's, um, okay, so let me, I'm going to be very direct. You mind? I'm from Chicago, so I have to be very direct with people. So sure thing. It's interesting. You know, when I, got it, when I got into my job the first time, you know, the first job I had as an engineer, you know, I, I, had, I had lousy managers. Do you know what I mean? And that, that forced me to leave the first company after three years. Uh, okay. Then I went to a wireless company where I found a great manager who knew how to nurture. And I think, you know, finding a good manager to work for, oh, if you find a good manager, that's, that's worth more than the actual salary. And I want people to register that. If you work for a company and you have a great manager, trust me, there's value in that. And so when I found this um, new manager, he really let me spread my wings, so to speak, on the, on the application engineering side. And he also encouraged me when I wanted to move into sales, go into sales. And from there, I moved around quite a bit because I have a different perspective on, you know, um, employment. You know, people always talk about loyalty, staying with the company. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm a capitalist at heart. And so I view myself as a product slash service, right? Can be okay. bought and sold on the open market. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm a hired gun. You know what I mean? I go out to the highest bidder. And people are always shocked when I say that. I say, but that's really business. You know, the thing is, you know, I know people listen to this and go, well, what about loyalty, corporate loyalty? Well, it's funny because most corporations, I'll just say at least 80% of companies will not show any loyalty when they go through a financial downturn. They get rid of people. And the way I look at it is that every week, I enter into a social contract with the company, right? And that contract says, Victor, you do 40 hours of work. I'll just say 40 hours. But in sales, you know it's more like 60 to 70 hours worth of work. You're right, yeah. If I do, yeah, if I do my 60 hours worth of work, I expect compensation in return. That's the social contract. There's no loyalty clause in there. So if you're a salesperson and you're not making the money you should be making, you can try to talk to your management to change your compensation program. But if that doesn't work, leave. Listen to me. Just leave and find another company. If you're good, you'll find another great company. So I moved around uh, around four or five different companies as I was moving up. And one of the things I really appreciated, Sam, and I, I come to value. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm just my perspective. I always say, I'm just giving you one degree of a 360. And my one degree perspective says, sometimes a company doesn't appreciate you as much as they should. And it's funny how when you go to another company, they show a whole different level of appreciation. 
And so when I moved from company to company, my salaries went up, my titles went up, and, you know, and my, I guess my respect level went up because I came from another company. Does that make sense? To a certain extent, yeah. So you're talking, what you mentioned just before we got into that, Victor, was that a good manager is better than a higher salary. So that's interesting. And then you're saying you moved about a few roles because they weren't necessarily compensating you enough for the work that you're putting in and the results you were getting, which makes sense. And then you said you worked up to a, a higher level. And then could you explain that a bit more, what you mean on, on that side of things, Victor? So, so what, I, what, I, what I've found, and again, I agree, uh, ask 100 other people, you get uh, different answers. But what I've discovered is that I'm working for a company, and if I don't see a growth path for me, if I don't have okay. a manager who has a growth path for me, then guess what? I'm going to another company. So, for example, if somebody says, hey, for you to get from a, a, a manager to a director, that's going to take you five years. I'm like, uh, that's a little long, especially when I'm producing right now, right? So, but if you tell me, you know what, Victor, in a year, if a slot opens up, I'm going to move you into the director slot. This is what I need you to do over the next year to prove yourself. I'd be like, all right, we're in. Game on, right? But if I keep getting the, the song and dance, well, we'll see. We'll see what's happening with the market. I'm like, uh, next best offer that comes along, bye-bye. And I don't Got feel it. guilty about that because, again, uh, every cap, every company is a profit center, right? And, and so is a salesperson. I think salespeople need to look at themselves as a, as a profit center. You know, think about it. We're the only profit centers if, from a sales perspective, right? Everybody else is a cost center. Marketing is a cost, right? Uh, legal is a cost. Infrastructure cost. So, again, maybe my perspective is a little different, but no, I, I think that, yeah. I, I like that. I mean, I like that. I mean, um, in terms of what you're saying, I think, I think it's very important that when you're with an organization to have clarity and to not have things as wishy-washy. So when you, when you go somewhere, you don't want some, someone saying, look, I, I want to know if I'm in this organization, can you help me get from here to a higher level? Um, what are my aspirations? Where can I potentially grow to be? And if they say, ah, oh, we'll see what happens in a few, few years, then you, it's going to ring alarm bells straight away, isn't it? For most people, we've got their heads screwed on. So I completely get what you're saying. You want someone or you want a team that you can work with or a management team where they're going to say, look, we're going to try and get you to the top spot. We're going to try and get you to management or director level within X years. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to attack it. You need to work with us. You need to put in the work. Um, and yeah, that, that makes complete sense. Okay, Victor. So um, moving forward. So you had way, a few... I just want to emphasize. I just want to add this, Sam, that you know, one of the things sure. that people should be aware of, and I drive this point home all the time, is that at the end of the day, you have bills to pay. At the end of the day, you have bills to pay. And I know some of you are young right now. You're thinking, you know, I'm only 30, Victor. I don't need to be thinking about a lot of bills, saving money, retirement, and all that. I'm telling you right now, I, I believe that between, I'll say, 30 and 50, I think are your highest earning years. Do you know what I mean? And so you need to accelerate and maximize that time frame as best as possible. And then that's where you're making money. So you need to be efficient and, you know, productive in who you work for and who you give your time to. And I think you should be selfish with your time. And again, if you're good at selling, and I'm speaking about salespeople only, if you're good at selling, demand the price, demand the compensation. Cool. Okay. Well, that's some good, good points for our sales reps tuning in. All right. So moving forward, Victor, what, what was happening next for you? You went for a few sales roles. Um, what, what happened? Because I know you said um, in, your, in your intro, we talked about you being a vice president of global sales. Um, mm -hmm. So was that a bit later in your career? Was there, was there any interesting insights you can share with us before then, or should we jump straight there? No, no, we can jump uh, straight into that. So what happened was I, I, was, uh, I started out in Latin America, moved up uh, gently, as they say, and then I became vice president of sales uh, for Latin America. 
Uh, and then what happened was, I mean, we grew the business from 14 million to like 98 million in two and a half years. Just monster. Wow, that's numbers. amazing, man. Restructured the whole region. Uh, so nice. one of the things I did there, um, if you want, if you want the, 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 the real explanation, uh, uh, the full story, if you go online and uh, I did the, uh, I was with Grant Cardone, we did the 10X seminar. So if you type in Victor Antonio Grant Cardone, uh, you'll see the full explanation of how I did that from 14 to 98 million. And so from a management, so now, now I'm a manager, Sam. Now I'm the guy that has to nurture people, right? And so what's interesting is as I, when I took over the region, uh, the, pre the president of the company uh, told me basically, look, we've never done more than 14.1 million in, in the last 10 years. He says, whatever you do, don't sell less than that. And so I remember having to, for the first 90 days, all I did was assess what I had in the region. So I had five offices scattered throughout the region. And so I really had to assess this new territory and to show commitment, I had to move my family into the region. So we moved to Argentina for two years. Oh, wow. Okay. And that's a big yeah, move. They wanted me to run the region from the region, right? And I was like, <laughs> oh, it was the first time living outside the U.S. It was, it was quite difficult. But, you know, in the, in the spirit of full disclosure, within the first 90 days, after giving instruction, after letting people know what the plan was, you know, I, let, I had to let go about 30% of my sales force because they weren't getting it. You know, we sell on value. That was our philosophy. as our mantra. We don't sell price. We position value. That's what we do. And so that was really hard to do. But it was interesting when I got rid of 30%, everybody else got the message and everybody else lined up. I'm giving you the short version, but you know, those people who were, there were people who were simply weren't meant to be in sales. We tried to move them into other positions within the company. There's okay. some people who just simply didn't want to buy into our philosophy. So we moved them out of the company. And then those who were willing to learn, adapt and grow made more money under me than they ever did in their whole sales career. You know, that's how well we did. And so if and you're a manager, is that just, this, just before we move on, Victor, is that something you would encourage for business owners or management to, to get rid of staff that aren't performing fast or should we give them a certain window to start getting results? Or is there any, any light that you can shed on that side of things? Yes. Yes. The thing is, look, I mean, you have to, I feel for people, I see people and their families, so I'm not insensitive, but at the same time, we're running a business. And so as a manager, you have that responsibility to nurture. Uh, I did a podcast called How to Save a Struggling Salesperson. If you go to my Sales Influence podcast, you can find that. Okay. And so what I talk about is I give salespeople like a 90-day plan. I say specifically, here's what I want you to do. I give them tunnel vision. It's like blinders. Here's all I need you to do for the next 90 days. You execute on that. I know you're in the game. And so that's one of the things I would recommend any, any manager to do. If you think you have somebody on the bubble, don't surprise them by firing them, Okay give them a 90 day, but don't give them just the window. That's too easy. Like get better in 90 days. That doesn't help. No. What I did was here's what I need you to do over the next 90 days. And I'd said to them, if you need me to do the calls with you, if you need me to do a ride along with you, I'll get on a plane and I'll be there right next to you. And I'll watch what you're doing. And so the smart one says, okay, come on down, watch me do the presentation. After the presentation, we would do a debriefing. Okay, here's what you need to change in your pitch. Here's your, you know, and we would do that whole thing. And then we would do some role playing in the car. Customer says this, you can't answer like that. That's a great manager. And if you Got do it. all that and still don't respond, then at the end of the day, at night, you can put that head on that pillow very gently knowing you did everything you could. So as a manager, here's what I want you to ask yourself when you look at a salesperson. Do you have good clay or do you have bad clay? 
When you're looking at somebody on the bubble, that's the two questions you are asked. Good clay, they can be molded. Bad clay, they're not going to do you any good. The faster you get rid of them, the better. And a lot of managers know that they need to get rid of people, and they don't do it. They rationalize why they shouldn't get rid of them. But yet it keeps them up at night, and it ruins team morale. So the sooner you can get rid of people who simply are bad clay, the better. Cool. And I love that saying. I don't think so, man. I think you've, you've explained that perfectly, to be fair. And I've never heard that saying, good clay and bad clay, but I really like that. And no, like you said, you're giving them a 90-day window. Your offerings pretty much hold the hand saying, look, if you've got any, here's where I need you to get in 90 days time. Here's how we're going to attack it. If you need support, help. If you need me to come with you on calls, on meetings, on presentations, then just let me know and, and we'll do it. And if they don't respond to that, then there's something yeah. going drastically Give them all wrong. The tools. What, yeah. Here's what I would suggest. You give a salesperson all the tools, all the training that they need. I had a salesperson once tell me, I said, Victor, the reason I'm selling is I'm, I'm unhappy with my compensation plan, to which I said, how do you want me to change it? He offered some suggestions. We found an agreeable point, right? He wanted money, and I got that. He's a capitalist. I got it. I said, okay, you can earn more. You can do this. this is this number acceptable? He says, absolutely. I said, what else do you need? He said, well, my car allowance is too low. True story, Sam. I go, what is it at? I was like, 250. I said, what do you think it should be? He says, be more like 300. That's the market rate. I said, okay, you got that too. Is there anything else? He says, yeah, not joking. He says, I need a new computer. I said, <laughs> okay, we can buy, we'll get you a new computer. I said, is there anything else? And he said, I would like, our, uh, we don't have a credit card. I don't want to use mine. Can I have a, you know, a company credit card? I said, absolutely, got that. I said, anything else? And he said, Nope, that's it, Victor. That, to which I said, great. So there's no reason you should hit your number because here's the number I want at the end of the quarter. And every month we're going to check in to see where that number's at. Within, I don't know, two months he was gone. You know, and it was be not because uh, he was, he just, it was the guy who wanted everything, but to which I said, okay, I'll give you everything you need so there are no excuses for not selling. I even offered him to send him to the training courses if he wanted classes, workshops, and he refused. And, but that was his choice, right? And that's what I sure. mean by giving them everything they need. Really equip your salespeople. And if the time comes where you have to get rid of them, sorry, you just do, but you feel good because you did everything you could. Makes perfect sense. Awesome, Victor. Okay, so let's learn a little bit more about how you scaled this business up because it sounds like you skyrocketed their sales in quite a short amount of time. Is that right? That's correct. It was like cool. two and a half years. Like I said, literally from 14 to 98, we were in a good market. Uh, but what I think happened, if I can bore you with some detail, is that, you know, the, uh, I'll say it this way, the, the, their approach to the market in general, it was always run by a, a Latin American vice president, right? Okay. Which means uh, in many cases, and I'm not trying to stereotype, but I know my people. It was very mm -hmm. ad hoc, right? Right. And so okay. I came down with structure, which was the first thing, right? Yeah. So what I did was people were crossing into each other's territory you know, distributors were confused, buyers were confused, I suppose, who to talk to. The, uh, the, uh, the headquarters was in Minnesota. Nobody spoke right. Spanish there, so there was no support there. So we loaded up customer support with Spanish people. We opened up an office in Miami, so we had Spanish people speaking technical support there as well that can fly into the region on a dime, one shot. And then we structured the region, and there was a uh, no violation rule in terms of you trying to sell into somebody else's country if you found a deal didn't work. And so we created a commission sharing when a, a joint deal was formed. So a lot of structure, a lot of training, and then a lot of in-country support 
really allowed it to accelerate our growth. Structure, training, support. Got it. Um, was this business selling conferences, Victor? What was it you guys were selling exactly? All the infrastructure we're currently using now on Zoom is probably running on some of the equipment I sold. So we sold oh, nice. telecom equipment. We sold the fiber optic side. We were selling at that time, obviously, DSLs, uh, HFC networks, which are hybrid fiber, coax, and fiber. And then also everything on the copper side, which is when you go to a central office, all the switching that's going on, we were selling those as well. So everything that integrates with uh, Cisco switches and all those beautiful pieces of equipment, we were selling. Awesome, man. Okay. And those were the, those were the main three things in terms of the growth. And is there any, before we move on to, to when you got into to speaking and starting your own business, is there any other insights you'd like to share with us that might be of value in terms of any sales reps or any marketing reps or any business owners just before we move on? I, I think for, for, for business owners is, you know, you got to find the right people. We've talked about that already, right? You, sure. you have to have some sense of structure and consistency in your approach to a market. In other words, segment your market and how you go in there. So every time we okay. went into a market, we segmented it by, by verticals. We call, you know, there's different vertical channels. That's why I say, go watch the Grant Cardone presentation I did. It goes into great detail. And then last but not least, if you're a business owner, you need to compensate your salespeople exceptionally well. Don't be, don't be cheap. Give them a great compensation plan. Because what happens is we as managers, we don't want to manage salespeople. I don't want to manage salespeople. I like salespeople that never call in and just report their numbers at the end of the month. You could be on the beach 29 days out of the month. As long as on day 30, I get my number, I don't care. That's my philosophy. And so put a great compensation plan together. Motivation take care, takes care of itself when it comes to salespeople. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I've, I've, um, I'm actually in the process of becoming a director myself and own business owner. So I know exactly what you mean. Being in the forefront and being on the uh, impact of a, a sales rep myself, I know exactly what you mean. I've had good managers, I've had terrible managers. And when you're not rewarded, because as you know full well, sales rep, well, decent sales reps, in my opinion, pretty much work nonstop. If you're really passionate about the product you sell and what you're offering, you'll go above and beyond. You won't just do the nine to five, Monday to Friday. You'll, work, you'll be working weekends. You'll be planning your days in advance, um, which you know all too well. I, and I'm, in return- I'm laughing because I'm, reflect, yeah, I'm reflecting back. You're making me remember. I was in uh, Puerto Rico back in January and I did a presentation, okay. right? And I was on selling and this lady pulls me to the side, like during the break. She goes, Victor, I have to talk to you, to which I said, yes. She goes, well, it's a little different here in Puerto Rico. I'm like, and to my mind, I'm like, really? I've been everywhere. You know, trust me, it's no different. She goes, well, right here, they don't have a good compensation plan. To which I said, she goes, you know, we have to work, you know, more than eight hours a day. And we still don't get compensated. And I said, two, two things. I said, one, I said, sales, as you said, is not a nine to five job. If you believe sales is a nine to five job, please get out of sales. Save yourself <laughs> the heartache and the business owner heartache, right? Uh, right. And then she said something about the compensation plan. I said, there's only four options. I said, you, I said, have you asked your boss for a better compensation plan? She says, well, no, I haven't. I said, well, one, why haven't you sold them on a better compensation plan? And she goes, well, I don't think they'll give it to us. I said, well, if they don't give it to you, then leave. I said, it's that simple. It really isn't that complicated. If you're good at what you do, you'll land easily at another job. The reason I love sales and sales training is because I truly believe that if you know how to sell, You'll never be unemployed. You'll never be unemployed, man. Awesome, man. Okay, so that, that's some great insights, and I, I love the love the fact that you just it's simple, really. Just compensate your sales reps accordingly, 
make sure they're happy and then they should perform. And if they don't, give them that chance and then move on. Okay, so I, I think myself and our audience would like to know a little bit more about you, how you got into public speaking, Victor, because that's actually something I'm looking at myself um, right now is, is something I want to look at to, to improve over the next the years to, to come. But yeah, if you could shed some more light on how you got into that and how that's played a role in you setting up your own business, that would be awesome just to learn how you got into it. So what happened to me, the history has to go back. I'm, I'm going to date myself so hard right now. <laughs> 93, I saw... I saw Zig Ziglar for the first time, right? And I was like, okay. oh my God, man, look at this guy. It was just like, I don't know. It was like, I'm not saying that the light shone down and it was a Gregorian chant and magical things were happening in my head. But when I saw this guy speaking, I was like, wow. And so what happened was, by the way, did we freeze up? It has a little bit. I can still hear you. I think can you hear me us? Yep, I can hear you my side. I just can't see you. Can you hear me, Victor? Okay, now I can hear you. It paused right as I was going to tell you the story. So I got your your question. And by the way, I'm I'm recording, so I'll send you the recording. You can clip it. Okay. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you now. Yep, we're all good. Anyway, so uh, I got your question, then it just froze right after your question. So I'll start from there. No worries. So how I got into speaking... I have to go back and I'm again, date myself really hard here by going back to 93 when I saw Zig Ziglar for the first time on stage. And when I saw Zig Ziglar for the first time on stage, it was just like one of those moments, right? It was like magical, right? You know, the Gregorian <laughs> chance, the light came through the, the roof, the whole bit. And I was like, I want to do that one day. So that was the seed that was planted. Uh, then I joined, it was right after that, that I joined, you know what Toastmasters is? Sam, do you know what that I is? I do, yeah. The only reason I do know is because I've got a friend, actually, and he, he does that. But apart from that, I mean, I know that it's a group, is it? And is it a little bit like a network? Okay. Yeah, you tell us. Speak. And I'm telling you right now, if you want to be a speaker, step number one. In fact, if you want to be a better salesperson, step number one, join Toastmasters. Go through the 10 speeches they give you. And so I joined Toastmasters okay. where I learned how to speak. And I did that for two, three years. I, I even started competing and winning. So I got really cool. good at what I was doing. But by the way, that also impacted my, my sales skills because I became the go-to guy when it came to presenting to big customers. So when my boss is right. you know, a big customer's coming in, who presents? They're like, send in Victor. He knows how to present, send them in. And so that's an important step. That was an important step. So Zig Ziglar, I joined Toastmasters. And then fast forward, I was vice president of sales of Latin America. And then I get offered a job, uh, president of, sales in, of global sales and marketing for a $420 million company. And so I'm doing that and I'm building, building, building. But it was around that time and I was uh, 36, 37, okay. that I started feeling what I call this quiet discontent. And the quiet discontent is that feeling you get when you know you're, you're not doing your thing, as I always say, or I call it do your thing, right? And I knew <laughs> I wasn't doing my thing. And it was like, I, I wasn't on purpose. I just wasn't aligned, you know? And I talked to my wife about it. I said, he said, well, he said what do you want to do? He says, well, remember that guy I saw years ago, Zig Ziglar, that whole thing? I want to I do that. I want to write books. I want to do that. And so... One day, man, literally, uh, and I, I would not recommend this strategy, by the way, but one day <laughs> I just, after talking to my wife, I just quit. Uh, if you want to see the full story, uh, I have a, uh, I did a documentary. It's on YouTube. Oh, right, okay. It's called The Motivator. 
So if you type in Victor Antonio, the motivator, uh, yeah. you'll see it. Uh, it actually was nominated for several film festivals, won one international film festival award. And it tells me- Awesome, man. Yeah, so basically I quit, right? And so, you know, at that time, Sam, you'll love this story. I was making like my base salary was 250,000 a year. My Whoa. average commissions were like two to 300,000 and plus stock options. And once I quit, they say, you lose everything. And I go, I get it, I understand. Now, we weren't super rich. We just had a little money in the bank, if you know what I mean. But I, I was ready to, you know how you sometimes you just gotta push the chips in? Boom, all in, right? And I remember I started the career in June and the first six months I made a whopping, I made a great income of $17,000. That's one seven in case you didn't hear me correctly. So I went from big dough to little dough. Very 250K a year to 70, a little bit of a drop, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was horrible, it was horrible. And that's when I realized, you know, I gotta get good at marketing myself, get better at really getting out there. And so okay. then the next year I made like $56,000 and then the third year, you know, or last two and a half years later, I made, you know, over a hundred thousand and life's been good ever since that. And so I, what I tell young aspiring speakers is like, first of all, you should join Toastmasters, really learn the craft of giving speeches. Look, anybody can talk, but not that many people can give a speech. And I have to remind people there's a difference. Anybody can talk and blather, but a speech is something that's impactful, that really impacts people and says, ah, I love what this guy's saying. And so, and then the second step, join Toastmasters, you know, and then really take time to build your speaking career, pick a niche to go after. I started out doing more motivational stuff. That's what I wanted to do. Right. Uh, one of my first books was called The Logic of Success, which is just my personal story. But then I said, you know what? I want to go back to my roots, which is sales. So I started focusing in on sales and that's how the sales influence concept slash podcast came about. Awesome, man. Okay. So... In terms of um, public speaking, Victor, that obviously makes sense that it kind of ties into presenting to prospects and customers because the way that you communicate with your ideal customers, the way you portray yourself and the way you come across is, is so key. It's so important to communicate well as a sales professional or a business owner. So that makes perfect sense. But were there any other ways that it improved you in terms of both a person and, and in your business life? I think what happened, uh, I had a moment. Uh, I'm glad you asked the question because I don't usually tell this story, but it, it's a good story because it's real. And that is, when, you know, the year I was making only $17,000. So we made the 17, sure. right? And I'm starting my second year, right? And I remember I was driving in Florida. I was driving up to Orlando, Miami to Orlando. And it was like a three-hour drive. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I was driving and um, I remember I'm driving and I'm going, you know, I'm not having fun. I'm not making a lot of money. I'm not having fun. You know how you're having that moment in the car by yourself? You know what I mean? Like, oh, what did I do? Why did I? A depressing time. Flashbacks, right? You're just going, you know, it's a real What's moment. What's going on with you know, my it's life? It's real. You're like yeah. driving going. Yeah. And so, and so just to let you know, I went through the same thing. We all go through these things, right? And so I remember uh, a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of them by Stephen Covey. And uh, okay. one of the uh, models in there is the circle of influence. And if you can imagine two circles, right? looks like a donut. Uh, <laughs> the out outer ring is the things you can control. That's the circle of concern. And then in the center, the whole of the donut, that's your circle of influence, things you can control. So I've always used that model as from, from, a, from a point of view of, okay, what can't I control? What can I control? Like right now, we're going through this pandemic, right? 
I can worry sure. about the pandemic. I can worry about this. I can worry about the market. I can worry about the politics. I, can, I, I, don't, I don't have time for that. I, I focus on the center circle and go, what can I control? What can I do? So I was having the same moment and I go, what can I control? And I was like, well, I can't, I can't control how much money I make, you know, people booking me. So why don't we just have fun with this thing? You know what? Let's do it our way. And so I used to do a structured corporate speech. And then one, that day, it was Valencia College. I still remember the college. I just let her rip, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> I still have my structure of the speech, but I did it my way. And I just had fun with it. And, I, you know, at the end, I got like a standing ovation. It was the weirdest thing. I actually enjoyed it. And that was, to me, the turning point in my speaking career. Now, that applies in two ways. One, to your speaking career, that you have to speak with your authentic voice. Now, by, by authentic voice, I mean, you know, I, I don't like, for example, when I listen to Gary Vaynerchuk, with all due respect, I just don't, I can't enjoy the guy. You know, I'm sorry. I love his content. Gary Vaynerchuk, I give him credit for getting me started on video when I read his book, Crush It. And the guy, I think, is a genius. But, dude, I can't listen to him, right? It's just, it's, he's just not for me. Fair enough. Uh, I, I think you should have a certain level of respect for the audience. You know, the whole dropping F-bombs, the whole, you know, it's like, by the way, I'm from Chicago. We know how to drop F-bombs. I mean, it's just like we eat them for breakfast, right? So it's, it's not a problem. I don't mind when somebody does it when it's, when it's a point of frustration. There's sometimes where you just got to drop one, right? But of course. when yeah, somebody yeah, does yeah. it almost intuitively. What's that? No, I completely agree. I mean, when, when you get to that level to, to create an impact or if you're frustrated, then yeah, you've got to swear. But yeah, I know what you yeah. mean. It's, it's a little bit excessive, isn't it, at times? And I kind of agree. Yeah. I don't mind people like getting so frustrated. They go, ah, shit. You know what? You know, and you go, I, get, I, I feel that frustration because it's coming from a deep, deep place. It's not just part of regular language. And sure. so I say that because when you find your style, too often people interpret that as, you mean I can just speak like I speak on the street? I'm like, no, not if you want to get <laughs> booked. You got to be a professional. But there's ways of saying things. To me, people who swear, it's almost a shortcut for, I don't want to say intelligence, but it's, it's a laziness. Because if you really wanted to impact somebody, you would really work the wording. You would work how you build up to it. And again, I'm not Makes even fruit here. I'm not saying don't. So, you know, Gary, don't call me because I love you, bro. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It, it's, it's just, but that's, but the thing is, it's interesting because that's his style, right? And that's his authentic self. My yeah. problem isn't so much Gary, really, now that I really think about it. It's the people who try to copy Gary. Because okay. I've seen people now try to use that same approach. And it, it works for Gary because he kind of like set the, he set the mold. You know what I mean? I, I personally don't think it's necessary because I really like when the guy just talks to you. But, you know, when I discovered my authentic voice, it was how do I use humor and storytelling and enjoy the presentation but still deliver content? If you listen to my content, it's really a, a shifting between humor and content. Humor and motivation, content and motivation, content and humor. That's, I'm just shifting all the time, just interrupting the pattern as I go through to keep people's attention. And so I think there's an art to speaking. So, you know, so when that, that was a moment for me, Sam, when I did it my way, my authentic way, being professional, my way, it worked. And when I started Go selling ahead. that way, when I started selling that way, it also worked. And so what I'm saying to you, and by that, I mean, you, whoever's listening to this is that if you want to be a speaker, a great salesperson, you got to find your authentic voice, but be a professional about it. There's always ways of saying things, right? Without having to, you know, 
go into the gutter, so to speak. So I, I just, I don't know if I'm just blathering on, but that's no, that I'm makes thinking. sense. I mean, I, I love that. The fact that you've got to keep it authentic um, and it makes, makes perfect sense. And I think some of the recommendations you've given there in terms of Toastmasters, in terms of um, the fact that once you started enjoying what you're doing, keeping it professional and, and kind of working out ways to, to tell stories, which is, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. I've seen, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I just wanted to tell you this one story because I had a guy, sure. his name is, and I don't mind telling his name because I hope he hears it. His name is David Shoemaker. And David okay. Shoemaker was one of the greatest salespeople that ever worked for me, right? And, and you know, he, David didn't really need an instruction, so he was just good on his own. You just, just widen him up and let him go, right? But what was interesting about David, he, it was like, if you look at him, he was the nerdiest looking guy at the time, right? Handsome guy, just nerdy looking, but very quiet. And so when I used to tell people that's one of my best salespeople, they're like, him? And he was such an introvert. And I realized that, and I remember I asked the customer, I said, what is it about Dave that, you know, you enjoy, you know, from a sales standpoint? He says, Victor, he just comes in here. He's always polite. He always wants to know what's going on with our business. He's never trying to sell, but he's always presenting something new to us and sharing some perspective. He's never pushy. And we welcome him when he comes in the door. And I used to see that when I used to do the four-legged calls with him, just, you know, do the ride-alongs. And he showed me that you don't have to be that slick salesperson, that, that model we have in our head, that rough person, ABC, always be closing person. No, use your style. I'm telling you, whoever you are, you have a style, and that style is valuable. You just got to figure out how to close with it. That's it. But do it your way. It's more authentic. That's Fantastic. for somebody. I know somebody's listening to this right definitely now, that's going to impact them i just know there's somebody out there no that's it i'm sure a lot of i certainly did in my younger days i had it in my head that as a salesperson you had to be super slick super confident but a good looking you had to go in there tell tell the prospect kind of all the features and benefits of your product just blurt it all out and just come across super confident when in fact it's it doesn't work i mean i myself are quite an introvert um but i've kind of played it to my advantage it it's helped pique my curiosity so i i ask better questions of course a lot of that has come with the material that i consume so a lot of the sales um, skills i picked up have come from podcasts video content all the books that i read and so on and so forth but it's just like you say victor it's a really good point it's understanding how you sh- what's what style suits you so not trying to be like everyone else but understanding what persona right. fits you and then working with it to to maximize it really that makes yeah. that makes great sense okay man so it sounds like you ramped up your speaking business over the years. Um, on this show, Victor, we like to take the angle of digital marketing and the role that's played and any benefits you've had from digital marketing. So any specific channels that you've had success with, Victor, and any, any ones that you recommend for our audience to, to look into? Huge. I already mentioned the big one. When I read Gary Vaynerchuk's book, Crush It, I think it's Crush It, not Crushing It, Crush It. I remember okay. reading that book and it was around... Yeah, it was around that time that YouTube uh, was bought by Google. Right, okay. Gary V, who was dead on, was like, you know, he was like, video, 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 video. So I went all in on YouTube, like all in on YouTube, man. Like, <laughs> forget all the other channels. I said, YouTube is my, my, my play. And so, like, today I think I have almost 1,200 videos online wow. on YouTube. And, That's a huge amount. So when did you start? Day, 2008 so it's 12 years now oh about 12 years okay that's yeah man i've been i've been chunking so uh today we our cadence is right now is three pieces of video content every week whether it's uh, by the way or i say digital content whether it's podcast or video we do three pieces every week 
And they're typically, you know, my podcast, five to 10 minutes. And so that's our cadence, right? By cadence, I mean, that's our rhythm. So and if you're listening that goes to, this, to you know, do you mean that goes to your mailing list, your email list or? No, stuff we post online. Ah, got it. Okay. Way, so in other words, I upload, I upload at least two podcasts, one video every week. That's what I mean by three pieces of content. I should say that. Okay. So three pieces of content go online every week just to keep it fresh. You know what I mean? And then obviously we blast it out to our email list. And, but I'm telling you right now, uh, YouTube for me has been uh, a great lead generator. I'm, ta I'm talking about super inbound generating leads, right? And so for the last, I'm going to say three to five years, and I'm guessing because I, I, I've never really tracked it, but I don't think I've made a cold call in three to five years. You know what I mean? Because of all the leads we had. People come to me. Now, here's what's interesting. You know, Google did a study called the ZMOT study, which is Zero Moment of Truth study. It was talked about how many sources of information do people look at online before contacting a vendor or a supplier. And so the number was 10. So think about it. If you go online, just think about how you search. You go online, you're looking for something, and you look at 10 sources of information, video, articles, blogs, whatever, podcasts. By the time somebody reaches my website, because they're looking for a keynote speaker, right? They already know who I am. I got so many videos online. You can't help but know who I am, right? You, you can read my articles. You can see my books. You can see all that stuff. So by the sure. time they pick up the phone and call me or send me a contact, hey, Victor, get in touch with us, they're like 80, 90% in the buying cycle. In other words, they pre-qualified themselves because they've researched me. Why else would you pick up the phone? I mean, nobody says, hey, what about this guy? Let's just look him up and call him. No. They research me. And so if you're a speaker, you want to be a speaker, you got to have video. you got to have great video online. But what I'm starting to see now, if I can share this with you, is I'm seeing a shift. Sure. You've probably figured this out already, Sam. Is I'm seeing a shift from video dominance being YouTube to podcast dominance. That's what okay. I'm saying. I'm seeing more of my traffic coming from the podcast now. We're up to almost 100,000. Why did we cross 100,000 once, maybe twice a month? So we're averaging around 100,000 downloads per month. Great stats. Monster okay. numbers. Now, we're still getting more views on YouTube. But recently, when I've been asking people, how did you hear about me? He goes, man, I love your podcast. Hardly anybody now says, I used to say, I love your videos. Now they say, I love your podcast. Okay. That's that interesting? interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because um, I would have thought the video would have been the big hitter. But that's, that's good to learn. So, all right. You started YouTube videos 12 years can, ago. Before I forget, before. Before sure. I forget to mention, I think there's a ricochet effect here. What's happening is they find the podcast convenient, something they can listen to. That's why they're 10 minutes long. But at the end, I'm always like, hey, go check out my website. Go check out you know, my other content. And that gets them to my website where they can watch my video. And I think that sells them. That's my thought. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, so you started the videos or so, 12 years or so ago. Um, and he put those out. I'm guessing that was a gradual process, building up followers and building up views, uh, much yeah. like myself when I started the show. It's a depressing start. It's a depressing start. You know, I know the feeling, man. Out there. <laughs> ten, 10 views. You're like, damn, 10 views. Are you kidding me? This is great content. And then, and then 15 but views, then 20. Yeah. But here's what, Sam, here's what's funny. So if you go online, you'll see, if you type in Victor Antonio and you type in the phrase sales excellence, right? Okay. How to become a great salesperson. Which is, which is literally, I turned on the lights in my studio, right? And it's a 15-minute rant that I just, just did. And I wasn't even going to put it up, but I had no other piece of content to put up that week. So I said, ah, let me just throw this one up there. Who cares? And that one right now is my most popular video. You know, it's like 1.6 million it's, views. 
you know, and you're like, really? Well, <laughs> so, so sometimes you don't even know what your great content think, is. Yeah, I think that's an important point to take away is that you shouldn't look to perfect your content. You should just making sure that as long as it's not terrible, uh, put it out there. I mean, as, as an example, I post on LinkedIn every day. And the post that I put out that got the most um, traffic lately was me eating a toasted sandwich saying, this is my um, pandemic lunchtime. And it just blew up. I mean, I'm putting every day, I'm putting digital marketing tips and strategies. They'll get like 30 likes or so. This got hundreds and hundreds of likes and comments and the views were through the roof. And I'm pretty sure I got leads leads from that. It's like, how? I think think what's happened at Slam is that there's so much, you know, I, when I started out, there were, there were less people in the digital space, right? And today, there's, we're, we're just inundated with digital content that when you put something out there that's a pattern interrupt that breaks the, the pattern, like you yeah. eat the sandwich or your pandemic sandwich, they're like, what? What the hell is that? Oh, that's <laughs> funny. And what people need yeah. is a little relief and humor at this point, not more content. And so even I'm aware of that. Uh, but but it, I, I just think it's really fascinating that you know, you said something that I, that I preach all the time. It says, man, if your video is 80% good, 80% good, launch it. Just launch it. it. As, long, as you said, as long as it's not horrible, like you can't hear the audio. It's funny. People will forgive video, but they won't forgive audio. You know, that's the big one. That's always the big one. And so sure. I tell people launch, but, you know, but people are so in their heads. Here's a digital tip. People are so in their heads, Sam, about, you know, uh, you know, they just get in their heads about doing video that they don't do anything. I don't look good. I don't sound good. Oh, look at the background. And man, they're so in. I always tell people the key to being successful in video is to get over yourself. That's the biggest step. If you can get over yep. yourself and so realize true. you're not that bad, you're not that bad. And I'll give yeah, you one quick it. story, not to bore you, but this is important. I was doing a workshop. I think it was uh, October or, or October, November. It doesn't matter. But I had, it was a small group, 10 people in the room. Everybody had laptops, right? And we're okay. talking about this social digital selling and how to send videos via email. And everybody's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know what? Let's do this. Let me just stop the workshop right here. Totally spontaneous. I said, what I want you to do is take your laptops, go find a location, record a one minute email pitch to me on video, on your webcam. And you know, right. I mean, they freaked out. I mean, freaked <laughs> out. They're like, what? Yeah, I said, you got 20 minutes to do it, something like that, right? They're freaking out. Here was, the, here was the aha moment. So they came back. They gave me all their videos. We upload them one at a time, and then we watched them. And was, what was interesting is that there were at least two or three people who said, my God, it's horrible, Victor. I don't want to show it. Please don't show it. They were begging me. <laughs> they were begging me in front of all these people not to show it. And when I watched them, I'm like, this is a great video. It was a good video. Again, my point is they were so in their heads. They couldn't see that they were genuinely connecting with people. And I always say, people don't want perfection. They don't. People want sincerity, right? They want that connection. They don't want a character. They want connection. They want to know it's you, man. Talk to me. Just talk to me. And what was interesting, those who complained the most typically had the best videos. The ones that thought they didn't do do well had probably the best videos because they were so authentic and so sincere and so genuine. And yeah, I give them some tips on how to make them better. But my point is, you know, it's, it's the content, not the character that you're trying to portray. You know what I mean? Forget about how you look. Get over yourself. Forget about how you sound. Get over that, too. Just deliver great content. Everything else fades into the background. 
Makes sense. And yeah, I mean, just to touch on that, I think it's good to get a variety of content as well, especially on social. Like if, you're, if you're doing text-only posts, then every now and then putting out a video. And like you say, just, just get over yourself. I mean, you've got to do it now and then. It's only going to help with your personal brand. It's going to help with views. It's going to help with inbound inquiries. So yeah, that's, that's a great piece of advice. Okay. And you, so you've, you've... And, you, and you get better. You, you know the 10,000-hour rule, right? The 10,000-hour rule, you just get better. And this people don't realize that by your first... Look, if, if you really want a good laugh, if you really just want a ha-ha, chuckle, chuckle, I posted my first Toastmaster speech online, okay? Okay. I had hair back then, so you might not recognize it. <laughs> say Victor Antonio's first Toastmaster speech. It was horrible. And I posted that because it was horrible. And people said, why do you post that? And here's what the response I usually get from people. I said, Victor, uh, after seeing your first video and watching you today, even I believe it's possible for me. That's <laughs> 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 oh man so i have to check that motivation out. if victor could do it you could do it so but what <laughs> i think what happens if i can challenge anybody out there why don't you do 20 videos just do 20 videos just go for it and i'm telling you by the time you get to number 20 hell by the, by the time you get to number 10 you're going to get really good imagine how good you're going to be at 50 at 100 which may sound like a lot to a lot of people but it really isn't if you did one video a week for two years you're up to 100 something already so just do it, man. Just get started. Awesome advice. Okay, Victor. Um, and just before we wrap things up, are there any habits that you follow or that you recommend that people follow to be successful in, in both life and, and business? I have one because uh, I can recommend a lot, but I realize there's no point in doing that. Just recommend one or two people could take away. Uh, Dan Ariely, who's like a neuroscientist, wrote the book uh, Predictably Irrational. Uh, okay. In one of his articles, he wrote something called that, uh, that everybody has two golden hours, two golden hours, two golden hours, or you can be super productive, man. And so here's what I would suggest to people. Find your two golden hours. Mine is early. 530 to 730. Man, the stuff that gets done in this head is amazing. After <laughs> that, things go downhill real quick. But in those two hours, uh, I typically do either. I always read. So that's, okay. that's a hat. I'm, I'm in the reading, man. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that buys, I, I think I go through maybe two to three books a month, you know, I'm nice. constantly reading. Right. And so at least two books a month. And so I read for about typically my brain, if it's a good book, my, it can hold my attention for an hour. If it's an okay yep. book, maybe 40, 30, 45 minutes. But then what I then do is I take index cards. And so when I read a concept, I write that concept on an index card. Like example, uh, Let's say it's something on small business business growth. Uh, by the way, if you invest, I don't know, just come up with whatever idea comes up. I write it down. I say, new way to close a sale. And I write the new strategy down, right? And then I, I just put question mark, how would I do it? Or how would I rework that? And I put it on an index card. And then I put That's the great. index card to the side. So I got a stack of index cards by my desk. And so those index cards become like memory tools, one. But two... I also use them as idea generators for podcasts, for content. You know, I like that. Okay. We never go back and look at the book again. We, we outline a lot of stuff. We underline stuff, highlight things, post paper, you know, uh, post it, on it, but we never go back. But if you create this stack of cards, so sometimes when I'm looking for a podcast idea or video idea, I just flip through my cards and then I give it my spin and my twist. So that's, I would say, find your two golden hours. Definitely got to put some reading in there and then yep. maybe some content development as well. Awesome. No, I mean, I, I couldn't encourage people to start reading enough. 
Um, if you want to get the best of your game, doesn't matter if it's business marketing or sales, start consuming content. Um, doesn't matter if you're audio person, if you're a visual person, just find what works best for you. If it's reading books, if it's podcast, and you can even Perfect. do it on the go if it's a podcast. And then, yeah, taking notes, that's great. I've just started doing something similar, but I'm, I'm using the app on my phone. So on my iPhone, you've got the notes app. So whenever something comes into my head or whenever I read a piece of content and I think that's going to be useful, I'll note it down, make sure that I like the angle of putting your own spin on it. And I love the golden hours. Um, I'm not sure yeah. if I'm more of a... By the way, yeah, I wish it was mine, but it's not. By the way, I use the note thing when I'm, when I'm on the move. Okay. When I'm on the move, you know, I use Makes the, sense. Uh, the, app, the note thing. And if you haven't noticed that, that translator, the audio microphone, so you don't have All to right, check yeah. it out. It works really well, by the way. So I, I should just try that. That's even quicker. Idea. You know, yeah. Yeah. So I just hit the hit the microphone. Da, 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 and I look at the, and I look at it, it's actually pretty good. It can transcribe audio very well. So that's what I do. Quality. Okay. Well, everyone, you've been listening or tuning in to Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from across the globe. We find out their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your business. Um, Victor, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, for having a positive influence on your career, who would it be and why? I would have to say it's a gentleman by, there's two, uh, but, but I'm going to narrow it down to one. I'm, I'm, I'm going to respect the question. So I'm, I'm going to narrow it down to a guy named Tom Stanton. And Tom Stanton was that manager I talked about with the wireless company that I joined. I went from the okay. bad manager to the good manager. And what I liked about him, and I'll give you the short story why, I, as an engineer, I put my first proposal together, right? Now, before, when I worked for the other manager, if I did a proposal that was over 20000 I would have to go in there, and he would have to review it with me. He'd read it. it like 20 times the whole bit. After a while, I was just like, Ugh, you do, you know, why do it? Because he's going to correct it all the time. Fast sure. forward, I go to the second company, and I remember my first bid, my first proposal was like one point something million dollars, right? So I went into Tom's office. I had the binder. Front sheet had the summary sheet. And I handed it to him. And I expected him to kind of start ripping into it, get the red pen out, get the red felt pen out, start marking it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He just read the summary, looked at the total, and he looked at me and goes, is it all right? You know, is everything in here that should be in there? Is it all right? And I go, yeah, it is. And he goes, all right. Boom. Takes out his pen, signs it, right? I walk out of that office. I'm like in a panic. Like he signed it. Like he signed it. My God, he signed it without reviewing it. He signed it. And so I remember I took it to another engineer. He looked it over. I, I was missing a few things, but it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't worth going back and get a re-sign. But I remember about a year or so later, I, I told Tom this story. Like, you know, I remember going to your office. You signed the deal. Da, 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 da. He goes, and he goes, in the past, would we do that? And he said this to me. He goes, he goes, Victor, I said, why would I pay you a lot of money and then do your job for you? I was like, <laughs> I was like exactly. And so his whole, his, his whole thing was, and, oh, that taught me, man. What you do is you hand over accountability to the person. You don't hold it for the other person, which if we can close the loop on this thing. When I dealt with salespeople, I handed them the full responsibility of the position. If you need anything, you come to me. Other than that, I'll assume everything's fine and you're doing your job. And that was Tom's philosophy. And I love that. And that, that really impacted me. Awesome, man. Really, really got a lot of time for that. Fantastic stuff. All right, Victor. So the audience would love to know the best way to connect to yourself. Tell us a bit more about your business and the best way people can get in touch with your good self. All right. Uh, just type in Victor Antonio. You're definitely going to find me online. Go to victorantonio.com. 
So I do sales training or keynotes or workshops. I have books and an online sales academy called the Sales Velocity Academy. So check out the Sales Velocity Academy if you really want to you know, get better at selling. My academy has to be one of the most complete academies out there when it comes to selling. No fluff, just straight. Here's how you do it. Check it out. Fantastic, man. The show is sponsored by webchoiceuk.com, helping businesses skyrocket their sales, leads, and brand positioning with results-driven SEO, conversion-focused websites, and mobile apps. That's webchoiceuk.com. Victor, thank you so much for coming on, man. Sam, thank you for having me. This has been fun, man. Thank you. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales, and business growth tips from the experts.